gentlemen, start your podcast. Now, I thought that would be the appropriate <laughs> beginning. What do you that think, That is guys? a good beginning, yes. Welcome to another edition of Boomers with Beverages. Artie, not too bad. Thank you. you Thank you, you very you much. You probably could do some voice work if you tried. I was thinking about starting that Maybe. next week. Yeah, I think yeah. you'd be good at it. That was very yeah. cool. Thank you. You know, in, in any form, however you say that gentlemen start whatever, but, you know, yeah. obviously, you know, gentlemen start your engines. You, you know, in Indiana, you know, in Indianapolis, it is a it is a special time. Anybody that's grown up here knows the month of May has uh, mm-hmm. so many memories. It's just amazing. And we get to share that today on Boomers with Beverages with a good friend of all of ours who uh, doesn't just go back with uh, Indy 500 history, but comedy history, too. And we're going to talk to Dave Wilson coming up here in just a few minutes, but uh, on behalf of everybody else, I'm Jim Burrows. Boomerswithbeverages.com is our website. we got Pete yep. and Lena here today. Pete, good to see you. Great to be here. Fabulous day here in Great Central Indiana. In Central Indiana. Pete just apparently picked up the clothes that were on the floor, threw them on, and came to do the podcast because he knows it really doesn't matter. Which He's, is, it's important to address wardrobe in a podcast. Well, <laughs> you also know that Pete, being a tennis aficionado, being a tennis aficionado, you're always kind of dressed to play. Have to be ready to go at any match, minute. Just in case a tennis match breaks out somewhere. That's right. You know, because I usually always say, like, in, in Indiana, there's always a pickup game of basketball any moment. Yeah, because I'm sure tennis happens just like that, you know? People well, are well, when, I, when I'm at the club, if they're short of players, sometimes yeah. you got to fill in. Gotta you be go. ready. You're supposed to kind of say that with a snobbish voice. When I'm at the club. Oh, no. no I, I remember I when I, when tennis really was kind of a country club sport, and mm-hmm. it was pretty snooty, and you know, not not that way anymore. But no. at one time, yeah. that was kind of the perception. Yeah. Dan Davis, good to see you. Welcome back. Good to be here. Thank you so much. Are you, are you okay? I'm okay. You doing Are you okay? okay? Yeah, I think maybe. I'm as well as can be expected under the circumstances. I I understand, and I appreciate you working under such stress. Thank you. You are an amazing man. (laughs) At least that's what that's yes. that twenty dollars. That's what my press kit says. Forced me to say. Uh, oh yeah. And why am I not surprised? That's what your press kit says. Isn't there truth in advertising, or they just yeah, they don't it's, care about yeah, that? truth-ish. Yeah. It's what we're looking <laughs> for. Ish. Dan, most of Dan's life now is ish. <laughs> lots of lots of ish going on over here. Artie. Yeah. How hey, are you? I'm, I'm got a little stomachache right now. I'm oh. trying this new cologne. It's awful. It's awful. <laughs> maybe maybe you should just apply it externally. In other words, don't drink it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, thank you. We'll, we'll thank get you very some, much. We'll get some more details on that new cologne <laughs> yeah. later, uh, later. As far as uh, what we're drinking today, I'm, again, I, I think I've done this on maybe three or four of the last handful of podcasts. I'm trying something for the very first time. And you guys know I'm not... A drinker. drinker. Yes, not a drinker. You guys are are big drinkers. And I do try to do some of those IPAs, which for me stands for it's probably awful. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, this is from Rheingeist Brewery. And I think Rheingeist is local. Cincinnati. We're close. Yeah. We can call it local. Drink it. Let's see. This is called called a Wowie Colada. See, I'm a pina colada guy. I love pina coladas. Mm. Good luck Mm. finding any in Indianapolis. A good one, yeah. Nobody has a blender. I feel like I should take a blender with me wherever I go. Here, take this well, blender. Yeah, they don't have blenders before. because they're not doing comedy one-nighters anymore. Right. The blender was right. such an important part of the one-nighter in the bar. Wow. That's almost like a PTSD moment for comedy. Oh, yes, exactly. You hear a blender sound anywhere you are? You're like, oh, it's like yeah, okay, there goes exactly. that punchline. Flash Yoder gig. Uh. <laughs> All right, so here's my Wowie Colada. Oh. Wow. That look on your face is not good. See, yeah. Well, no, it's not, not wow as in wowie. It's wow as in what in the hell made them think this was a beer? Oh, yeah. oh Lord. See, 
It just as a general oh, wow. rule of thumb, if I want a pina colada, I will order myself a okay. pina colada, yeah. not a beer that's <laughs> supposed to taste. Just you know, yeah, but see, as you be you. Jim. No, no, we're, we're we're trying to make you think outside the box because you're you know. I want to stay in my box when it comes to pina coladas. You, I've got know, a nice tidy box. We, we just we're, we're trying to get Dan out of his Ned Flanders mode. <laughs> yes, you know, as soon as we break him, free, you know, I am left-handed. Yeah, I know. You are. <laughs> not only does that taste bad, that's a hideous looking. Can. It they've is done, a they've done nothing can. to promote this, and I, I, haven't seen right. a, I haven't seen a can more hideous than on a Kardashian. So that's apparently, not, that's apparently not they lost a bet. That's not true. Uh, all right. Well, let's move you on. lose. Therefore, I'm hoping you guys have something better. I know Artie's drinking something better because I've had. Oh, that. this is uh, my favorite. One yeah. of my favorite things to drink. Sun King Brewery Weemac. Yeah. Oh, love yeah. the Weemac. Very yes. nice. Pete Molina, Wee-Mac. what do you got? Big one. What are you drinking? Uh, Modelo Especial. Ooh, yes. Mexican beer. I like it. That sounds special. Dan Davis, what do you got? I am having a Yangling Golden Lager. Yummy. Which is, yeah, one of my favorites. I'll trade you. It's a good, yeah. No, you won't. (laughs) It's like, no, you won't. (laughs) No, you stick with your beer. This is awful. Would you like it? Yeah. Boomerswithbeverages.com is our website. And Dan, uh, fill everybody in about our YouTube TV channel. YouTube, we are at at BWBTV645. Lots of videos on there. Lots of great stuff. Yeah, put up a couple new ones yesterday. I know. You put up the video of the bug pooping on my ring doorbell. It's finally there, yes. That's what that was. Top bug maverick, we call it. I want to give a quick uh, kudos to Kevin and the staff at AJ's Bar and Grill here on Fall Creek Road. This is a a new venue for us. You guys remember a few months back, we did four-day Ray for a few months. We Uh, did. Brian and those guys over there were fantastic. Mm -hmm. Kevin, incredibly receptive to say, yeah, come on out, uh, take the stage and do the podcast. So we'll be here for our, our next few recordings yeah. and maybe a little bit longer once Dan gets back from his sabbatical. He's mm-hmm, going mm-hmm. going up to the the hinterlands of Michigan. And I think the best thing about AJ's, it is far closer to Artie and my house. So <laughs> you, yeah. there we go. You, yeah. you uh, did a power walk to get here, didn't you? Basically, yeah. yeah In sure. that I walked yeah. to my car and yeah. drove. Yeah, yeah that was going to say. <laughs> It's a very powerful walk from this house to the garage. I'm here, I'm here at least once a week. At least once a week. Mm-hmm. They, on a Tuesday night, they do a great steak special. I don't yeah. know if you've heard about it. It's thirteen ninety nine. Yeah. Steak, baked potato salad. It's amazing. How much? Thirteen ninety nine for wow. a, a bacon wrap fillet, cooked the way you want it. It's absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic. But nice. you can't beat that deal. But so uh, like check it out if you stuff. are uh, in Indianapolis for the. Uh, festivities coming up throughout the month of May, and you find yourself over in this area of town, it's AJ's Bar and Grill. So let's do uh, Top of Mind real quick. Artie, what do you got? Okay. I moved to Indianapolis back in 1967. we That's when we moved from Memphis, Tennessee. We literally were the Beverly Hillbillies with, with just a better car. <laughs> but we, we were driving into town, and Dad turns the radio on, and the first thing we heard, I don't even remember who the announcer was, but it was the Indianapolis 500. And we're like, we're hearing the cars going around, and I'm going, Dad, those sound like bees. Is this bees? Are those bees? He goes, no, those are the cars going around the track. And the first thing I thought of was, okay, they must be really small cars. <laughs> but that was my first experience with the 500. We, sure, we're I from like Memphis, it. Tennessee. We, yeah. we, we knew yeah. cotton. Cotton and barbecue. That's all we knew. I love it. And, but it was, yeah. but it, was a, it was a great moment for us. That's neat. I yeah. love it. Thanks mm-hmm. for sharing that one. Pete Molina, what do you got for your top of mind? Well, a lot of stuff going on in my family this week. Uh, my, my daughter Lizzie graduates from law school on Saturday. Yes. So we're Good proud job, of her. Lizzie. And Jimmy just announced he's taking a transfer with his job. He's going to be moving to Boston. Uh, not quite sure when, but... <laughs> 
in the next <laughs> 60 cool. days. So. I'm going to give him my kid's yeah. number. He, yeah, all right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're excited. I'm, I'm excited for him because it's a great career opportunity. A little nervous because it's really his first time to be away from his, his network mm-hmm. uh, of, of his support system. So, But it, it's it, it'll be good. It's time for yeah. him to kind of branch out, and he'll learn a lot about himself. And and I'm just excited because Boston's one of my favorite cities, yeah. so I got a more of a reason to go visit. I can't wait to hear his accent when he gets home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Think yeah. about it. Dan, what do you top got? of mind, it's Indianapolis, it's May, we got folks in from out of town. Be nice. Yeah. And don't complain <laughs> about don't complain about the road work. Exactly. But it's we're going We're improving. That's what we do. What are we, right. It'll be a great Channel city once we get it finished. Uh, my top of mind, you know I like to just throw out some information that I find on the internet because you can believe everything on the internet. Everything. Uh, a recent survey found that one-third of adults still sleep with a comfort object. Did they elaborate on some of these? Well, I would assume it's like a blanket or maybe a, a stuffed animal maybe you had as a kid you still cling to. There are some adults that still have their Would you call a stuff? fifth of whiskey a comfort object? Yeah. Because there have been nights. That'll work. Could you do a little <laughs> research and see if there are therapy groups for these people? No, but I do want to clarify. We're not talking about anything that requires a C-cell or D-cell. So <laughs> okay. this is this is like more so of a... So just double A, triple A? Well, maybe there's a smaller version you're referring to. How big do you need? I have no, no wonder idea. he had prostate surgery. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, it was worth the journey. <laughs> I can't wait to I can't wait to go back. <laughs> no, no. Anyway, increasingly we wanna, uncomfortable. We want to thank right. uh, everybody for uh, being here at AJ's today. We got a, a little bit of a lunch crowd, which is awesome. They got a mm-hmm. good crew here at AJ's Bar and Grill. It we is. do have a special guest out there. We're going to uh, give a quick nod to because hopefully somewhere down the road he'll be part of one of our podcasts. But we have uh, another comic that when we were all starting out, I mean, this is more so for Dan, Pete, and I as the young guys. There were four comics that the club owners always said, "You get on their good side, mm-hmm. so they can make recommendations, and you're going to be." good to go. And those were Dave Wilson, Dave Dugan, Randy Montgomery, and Artie Widgery. Yep. So you pretty much knew those were the big four. You had to get the you had to get on their How good side. How did we side. get in that? How so did we get there? So so because uh, you're sitting here at the oh, table, okay. and it would have been rude to leave you. Yeah. So, maybe. Really so anyway, so uh, a big hello to Randy Montgomery. Thanks for uh, stopping by to say hey to us. And uh, now we'd like to introduce you to our special guest that we are so excited to have, Dave the King Wilson. Thank you. Thank hey, you. Good, good to, to have see you. Kid. Welcome, good to be King. Here. Good to be here with you. Uh, yeah, I, this will be if everything goes good. My fifty-sixth Indianapolis five hundred. Wow. wow, that's great. I grew up on the West Side. Uh, my mom was from Speedway. My dad was from Dana, Indiana, but uh, my mom went to school in Speedway, and uh, I, rem- as my whole life, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway has been in my life. Mm-hmm. We lived. Uh, I grew up at 30th and Georgetown in Eagledale. Thank you, thank you. Very much. <laughs> and uh, I remember uh, the earliest days driving down. My grandparents still lived in Speedway. We lived on uh, in Eagledale, so going up and down Georgetown Road by the track all the time. And as I was really young, I remember looking at the back of the grandstands, thinking, "When are they going to finish that building?" <laughs> it, it just looked like unfinished buildings to me, all the way up and yeah. down. But uh, it, yeah, this memory, I remember the first time I got glasses when I was eight years old and the Goodyear blimp flew over and I go, Dad, look, somebody wrote Goodyear on the side of the blimp. And mm. like, oh, I'm raising an idiot. 
but uh, <laughs> so cool. There's so many, yeah, the things that uh, the whole thing. It was so neat when I already started the show off with gentlemen start your podcast because gentlemen start your engines. Now there's a, a several stories on how that originated. It, 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 it originated at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. The story, the most popular one that Donald would tell on occasion, was uh, 1946. The first race after Tony Homan had bought. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway from Eddie Rickenbacker in November of 45 when World War II had ended. And so it's the first 546, and um, the drivers, race morning, decided they weren't happy with the purse hmm. and they threatened to strike. Huh. So Wilbur Shaw, who was a three time Indianapolis 500 winner, was from down around Seymour or South Central Indiana. Uh, he was the president at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway working for Tony Homan. And all morning long, race morning, he's negotiating with the drivers and the owners to come to a conclusion so they could have the Indianapolis 500 that first day. And so they finally reached an agreement. So when it came to start, time to start the, the race, Wilbur Shaw was going to give the command. And he said sarcastically, gentlemen, start your engines. Yeah. So that's how that whole thing started. And it was very, after a hard very bitter negotiation is where that all came hmm. out of. Yeah, it's, an, it's an interesting history, isn't it? Oh, it most certainly. Literally was pretty close to never even being an event. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it go, the track opened in 1909, and the first event they did there was a balloon race. <laughs> wow. And uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway management at the time learned a very valuable lesson, and, and that was it was 25 cents to go on the grounds to watch the balloon race. <laughs> and traffic was backed up, according to records, all the way from 16th Street all the way downtown thousands mm. of people coming out to see this but the, the the management soon learned that you could enjoy balloons taking off from outside the track and not paying <laughs> the 25 cents there you go as easy as you could from inside the track <laughs> uh, and actually the, the the balloon that it was the furthest you went and they went down uh, in Alabama somewhere was where the, the winning balloon landed but hmm. then they had some motorcycle races was the next uh, series of events there and then some car races and it was on oh. a track the track at that point was uh, gravel and tar and it would potholes you think we have potholes bad here well the race cars were hitting those and it was killing people so oh, wow. they ended up uh, bricking the speedway where it's got the name the brickyard 3,200,000 bricks and in 1911, had the very first Indy 500. Was it always cool. was it always a two and a half mile track? Yes, sir. Thank you. And that's because when they when they built and originally they were going to have a road course to the infield, which they have now. But back then they didn't do it. But originally it was designed to do that. But they bought that property and it was a test track because Indianapolis at that time had the most more car manufacturers than anywhere in the United States. Yeah. Detroit had not blossomed as as it would, and so they wanted a test track and. Um, uh, so that's where that came up with. So they, they had this property, and uh, they go, how big a track can we fit on this property? And they go, well, we can get one two and a half miles. Well, let's make one two and a half miles there. And that's why the track is so close to the, the, the Georgetown Road and 16th Street and all that, because they build it right up to the edge just about. Wow. So Pete? So, Dave, you mentioned that the gentleman starts your engine as a historic start of the race. There have been a few years where there have been some ladies in there, so they had to slightly <laughs> yeah. alter that. Can you share with us how many times they had to well, modify it? The first time was in 1997 when Janet Guthrie I remember that. Uh, made the 500. And this was a neat, uh, an unbelievable deal because up until 1971, women were not allowed in the garage area. Wow. What? They 71? were a distraction. Was, <laughs> yeah, but wasn't Mario's uh, 
tamper the exception? Or? <laughs> and, yeah. Well, yeah, Miss, Miss <laughs> Hurst Shifter. Yeah. yeah. Or Bobby Unser. But that's amazing. Bobby so. Unser used to, God bless his soul, Uncle Bobby. Yeah. Wow. He used to wear his driver's <laughs> uniform down to uh, the white front down on 16th Street to pick up women. <laughs> Did he you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's hilarious. So, but anyway, yeah, so uh, in uh, 1977, uh, Janet Guthrie uh, made the 500. And uh, and initially, Tony Homan said, who was given the command, said, well, I'm just going to say, you know, actually, it's men starting the engines, you know, with uh, the okay. starters. Yeah. So I'm just going ahead and still say, gentlemen, start your engines, because the guys and the mechanics. Well, Kay Bignati, who's, uh, her dad was Louis Meyer, who was the first three-time winner. She was mm. married to George uh, Bignati, who was a chief mechanic of a, who won a bunch of races. She goes, well, then, okay, all right, well, I'll volunteer. I'll start her car to force you to say, <laughs> That's them. great. So he said, in deference to the first lady to compete, Driver start your engine, so mm-hmm. that's how that all started. And then since then, we've had you know obviously quite a, a, a quite, a, yeah, yeah. quite a few. Which yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a good thing. So well, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I got to say, you know, gentlemen, start your engines. Any tradition that starts from sarcasm. I think is worth celebrating. Sure, right. right. I want I want more of those. Right. But the track's gone through a lot of uh, definitely modernization in terms yeah. of things they've gotten rid of. You know, they don't do the balloons anymore, unfortunately, right. which is such a huge thing. Right. But it's so different because I remember my first race was '76. Mm-hmm. Who won? So you yours, remember? Was it Rutherford? Seventy. Yep, exactly. I think it was. Very a, nice. I think there was rain too. If not, I'm not mistaken. That uh, I believe there was. Yeah, yeah. but it yeah. was the second of three. First time I'd ever gone, and our tickets were in the third turn. Never been. Mm. So I'm sitting there on a metal bench in a pouring rain, going, "Woohoo!" Yeah. <laughs> well, we. So when was uh, AJ's fourth? Was that seventy-seven? Seventy-seven. So yeah, that was my first one. Yeah. And, yeah. But we were in the infield. Yeah. And so I did uh, not see a car. Anything. Well, yeah. it, what's interesting? Not a race car. There are plenty of yeah. yeah and no, no and also car. two back then in the in the 70s, you still had a very much a marketplace inside the track. You oh had, yeah. You had vendors galore, which. I think eventually they pushed all the vendors outside the track that they didn't allow. They used, you could yeah, plenty of unofficial vendors. Exactly, yeah. all kinds of merchandise and things going you, on. Yeah, you, you know. had Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, pretty much. That's <laughs> yeah. what you had in the, in, yes. in the infield. So true. And yeah. Uh, yeah, they cleaned that up, and and they, and it kind of it, for a while it kind of ruined a lot of people because that from a lot of folks. That was their in- introduction to the Annapolis 500. They would go there and party, 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 and then yeah. eventually they get a little later in their 20s and they go, "Oh, what was that? That it was, was interesting." Race. And then all of a sudden, hey, let's watch the race. And then all of a sudden, they're buying tickets, and then they're bringing their kids, and that's how the progression grew. And uh, they ended up—I mean, when they started getting the suites up there, they started—they got the, you know, here we got a guy paying 50 grand to have a suite, and right across the street, you know, you can look across the track, and here's this all de- debauchery, and mm-hmm. you know, the Indiana State Police walking in in teams of 20. <laughs> I mean, literally, it would be in a team of 20 walking through wow, there trying yeah. to restore uh, order. Uh, Some of the pictures from that era. Oh, yeah. Oh, Fantastic. Yeah. I, 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 about a, a coffee yeah, table yeah. book. I mean, I think you could safely say that at, <laughs> at one time, the snake pitch, which is what it was called in, in the yeah. infield, was the lowest form of human behavior for 24 hours. There's a story a guy told me about being in the infield uh, in the 70s, and he and a buddy had to go to the bathroom. So they're standing in the line thinking they're in the line getting in the bathroom. And, uh, 
turns out they yeah. look up and they they're actually in a line to get there was a van with a young woman in the van oh, oh my goodness <laughs> oh was she reading bit like stories it's a train like, station yeah, all yeah. of a sudden so uh, <laughs> she was reading so tarot cards yeah we're, right, we need to get over to another line yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, we need you know. to be oh, she, was, she was saying gentlemen I'll start your end <laughs> there yeah. you go wow you, go. you can finish hey, here and I remember the uh, the bathrooms <laughs> the bathrooms back then were yeah. uh, wood, oh. boards of wood with holes cut in them and you right. had like a trough in the middle. Yeah. Well, and I had troughs yeah. recently. Was we still got the trough. But there were no, fl- no flush bathrooms for the general public, right? Uh, no. Well, I, I wanted to. When they got rid of them, when uh, Roger Penske bought the track in 2020, they went through there and on the main straightaway, especially, they got rid of all those great big yeah, troughs. Right. And I would have bought one had they allowed me to, but they, I saw them out there one night and the next morning they were gone. They oh. threw them away. Oh. But uh. in 66, Graham Hill came here. Graham Hill was a Formula One champion. And the British invasion had kind of started here at the Annapolis Motor Speedway. And he was uh, appalled that in the restrooms in the garage area, there were no doors, no doors on the, the commodes. Huh. And so he complained, and Tony Holman ended up putting doors on the commodes to appease Graham Hill. Taking a little break from our conversation with Dave Wilson here to talk to this year's Indy 500 Milkmen. We have the veteran milkman, Carrie Estes, and the rookie milkman, Alex Neuenschwander. So welcome, guys, to the Boomers with Beverages podcast. Thanks for having us. We're talking about the original beverage, milk. So Carrie, this year, you're going to be the guy that hands the bottle of milk to the winner of the Indy 500. That's exactly right. And then, Alex, you are in training to be that guy next year. I am. Yep, I'm going to... Learn everything I can from Carrie. Tell me about this process. How, Carrie, how did you get to be the milkman? Well, there's two ways you can get to be the milkman. Uh, one is by an application that you turn into the American Dairy Association. And another is by nomination. And so okay. I was asked if I would be willing to do this. And of course, I absolutely jumped at the chance. Sure. And so, Carrie, you are a first generation dairy farmer and Alex, fourth generation I'm fourth generation on our dairy farm, yep. And so, yeah, Carrie, you started your farm in 2005? Yes, we actually purchased our farm in 1999, but started our dairy operation in 2005. And and you're in Fountaintown area? That's correct. That's yes, just below New Palestine. The first bottle of milk, Louis Meyer wanted buttermilk. Well, that's, that's exactly, exactly right. right. Um, his mother sent with him a bottle of buttermilk. But uh, she said, you know, Louie, you got to be quenched on a hot day. So he was photographed after winning his second, his 500, drinking a big old bottle of buttermilk. And so that image stuck, and that's where the tradition began. That Because that is so wild that you just, I mean, my parents drank buttermilk. They drank with uh, pepper. They would sprinkle pepper oh. in the top of their buttermilk. And, you know, I like buttermilk for baking, but uh, I'm much more of a, I'm a whole milk, chocolate milk kind of guy myself. So yeah, that, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to agree with you on that. <laughs> has, has anyone ever had chocolate milk? Uh, no, it's, we stick with real milk, okay. real white milk. Uh, we want everyone to see that pure product okay. in a bottle. And so drivers are given their choice of whole two percent and low fat milk okay a couple drivers do actually write in buttermilk because they want to stick with that tradition and and two percent low fat that's what we offer okay interesting and so what sort of training is involved here i mean do you have to do do you like practice runs things like that 
You know, I think I've handed the bottle of milk in my sleep several times. <laughs> uh, my big concern is, you know, this this bottle is wet and it's ice cold. Yeah. I don't want to drop this thing. No, no, I don't want to be don't. the only guy in history to have dropped the bottle of milk. <laughs> so I am a little concerned about that, just yes. being totally honest. That's right. Now, how long have they had a dairy farmer as the milk delivery guy? I believe it was the mid-50s. When the tradition really began after Louis Meyer in the 30s, Um, they started to do it in an every year thing. Mm -hmm. But I think it's been in the last eight or 10 years that a farmer actually is the one that's given the the driver the milk. So, Alex, yours is called New Hope Dairy. Yes, that's right. New Hope Dairy. We're located in Bluffton, Indiana which is a little bit south of Fort Wayne. Mm -hmm. So yeah, really excited to represent the Bluffton community here as well. Being able to represent dairy farmers, hardworking men and women and Indiana dairy farmers. Really excited about that. Carrie, how many cows do you have on your farm? Yes. So we milk about 150 cows Wow, and we raise about, about that many replacements. Okay. And then, and Alex, how many you got? Yeah. So we milk about a thousand cows and we keep about 600 um, younger animals around as well. Wow. How many people does it take to milk a thousand cows? Uh, On our, we have a team of about 15 people. Okay. um, family and then we also have some higher higher hands and yeah i was seeing carrie you decided to start your dairy farm so that you your family could be involved together so is it just your family operating with your hundred some cows it is it's just my wife and our four kids uh my oldest son just recently got married and so i hired him as my whopping one employee (laughs) But I think it's so cool in Indiana how you have dairies that are different sizes. You've got small Mm -hmm. dairies, you've got large dairies. Right. And I think we need them both oh, to yeah. be able to supply everyone with the milk. And I yeah. think that gives the, the whole industry strength. It's great talking with you guys. And, and we wish you all the best. But, all thank right. you for having us. And Absolutely. make sure you remember that winners drink milk. Thanks, guys. Thanks to Carrie and Alex, the 2023 Indy 500 Milkmen, for giving us their time. And now, back to our conversation with Dave Wilson. It's an interesting, the history of the track is, is always fascinating to me. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's, a, it's its own worst enemy. You know, because you, when you look at, as it progressed through the 80s, you still had pole day, which pole mm-hmm. day was mini race day. And for a lot of people, that was their race day because they right. could afford yeah. to get the ticket to go to pole day. But then when you had the uh, the IndyCar cart, rate, cart feud, pole day went away forever. Sadly, well, it kind of actually started going away a little before that because there, for years, pole day, had, its appeal was how fast are they going to go? Yeah. Yeah. And by the 90s, they had kind of started, it wasn't even the early 90s. And, and the split happened in 96. But Do you think that was uh, that because was the there weren't year. as many teams to make it as competitive? Or what do you uh, think? It was, was just, you, you reach a limit and they're yeah. trying to slow yeah. them down. They were yeah. trying, they, they figured this is about as fast as, you got to remember in, night, in, the early, in, the, in the late 50s, uh, engineers said that it was physically impossible for a car to average more than 150 miles an hour wow. at the morning. Physically impossible. Yeah. 1962, Parnelli went broke the 160 mile an hour barrier. Broke the barrier. Wow. You know, broke the 150 mile an hour barrier. In uh, 17 or 15 years later, Tom Sneva in 1977 broke the 200 mile an hour barrier. And then in yeah. 1996, Ari Leyendijk went 237. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, but that was uh, uh, the poll day kind of dropped off. Now, an interesting story about the poll day in 1977. 
this play, I was there the first day of qualifying. It was a race day size crowd. I mean, people knew this historic event was going to mm-hmm. happen, this unbelievable barrier. A couple people had broken it unofficially in practice, Gordon Johncock, uh, Mario Andretti. But it, but it didn't count until you did it in qualifying. Yeah. And so everybody figured it was going to be Tom Sneva because Sneva was driving for Roger Penske. He was great at qualifying. and Everybody was anticipating, and he was going out early. So they were anticipating him doing it. Well, that year also was a year that Evil Knievel, the motorcycle daredevil guy, was sponsoring a car huh. being driven by Gary Bettenhausen. So Evil Knievel's at the track qualifying morning to watch his car qualify and he is uh dressed in a red white and blue leather jumpsuit with a collar up over his ears you know and and he had a cane and i had this confirmed i'd heard about this but i had it confirmed with a guy who worked on the crew it had a diamond in the handle that he said was telling everybody was worth 30 grand in 1977 so he's walking through there and everybody's going nuts there's evil knievel well you know the crowd's going crazy they're ready to go out, out on the racetrack, here comes Sneva, and everybody is on the edge of their seats. And he takes a couple warm-up laps. Well, that's right around the time they start bringing Evil Knievel out of the garage area and heading him towards pit lane. And he starts walking along, and all of a sudden, here comes Sneva, takes the green flag for the first, life, and he, the first lap, and he dives into turn number one. And everybody says, oh, my goodness. And Knievel, Knievel's getting closer and closer and closer and closer to the, to the pit lane. And as he gets about 10 feet away from it, Boom, there goes Sneevy, completes lap number one. He comes diving back into turn one, and then all of a sudden, as only Tom Carnegie could do, he cracks that mic open and he goes, It's a new track record. <laughs> 200, and that's all you heard. It startled me. I remember jumping out of my wow. skin. It was so loud. Wow. The scream. Hmm. Evil Knievel thinks it's because the crowd spotted him. <laughs> of course. And they had to grab him because he starts walking down the pit lane, waving to the, uh, waving to the multitude. You well, know? Of course. They had yeah. to grab him and pull him oh, back in. So so what, I know for me the big moment, because uh, pre to that, I, I respected it. I, had a, I enjoyed the race. And this was before I started working at WIBC and actually worked mm-hmm. you know, in the pits and worked at the race. But my brother bought tickets in 82, mm-hmm. and we were on the main straightaway. Uh-huh right across from you know literally just a few feet from the start finish line that hooked me forever yeah well and, and everybody knows that was the john cock mirrors battle and and my nod to aj and that was that damn coogan kid yeah who hit you aj coogan and that blew me away because it's like the race hadn't even started yeah, yeah. obviously yeah. he wasn't ready for the acceleration there. Happened, yeah. yeah you know yeah. but then again it ends up being for quite some time, the closest race in history. It's not, right. yeah. it isn't anymore. No. But yeah. that hooked me. Did you have a moment like that that hooked you with with Indy? Oh, well, I, I think the, the, in March of 1963, I was eight years old. My dad came home from work one day and he said, you want to go the track? They're tire testing. Mm. And I go, yeah. And I mean, I'd never been in the track. And I remember we parked outside the main gate, walked into a grandstandee in the first turn. And I just remember seeing the inside of that track for the first time. And that that, that picture is embedded in my mind. That Because even though I've been up and down there my whole life, I never realized really how big it was until you see the inside. And I'm standing there just slack-jawed, staring at this infield, and all of a sudden, Eddie Sachs went by in a red and yellow uh, offy powered Roadster. And I was 
hooked. Yeah. And I mean, I went to school 79 right over on 34th Street. So, you know, the windows are open the month of May. You know, spring fever is bad enough for a kid. You know, you're wanting to get the heck out of there. And But I can hear the cars running. Um, and I can tell the difference between a Ford and an Offie. And I'm going, oh, man, that's probably AJ diving into Ford. <laughs> oh, that has to be Mario. That was Sweet. Ford. You know, and I mean, it's just killing me sitting there listening to that. So I think that was, you know, that first moment. I mean, my first race was 1967. And uh, it was the year of uh, the turbine, the Parnelli Jones oh, yeah. turbine, which I hated because it was different. Mm-hmm. And as we all know, we don't like different. We don't right? like different. Oh, yeah. I did. It's Indiana for heaven's sake. Yeah, I like the sound of the engines, right? Yeah. And, and here's yeah. this, what the heck is that? And, <laughs> yeah. and it was four-wheel drive, and he had an air brake, and blah, 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 blah. And I'll never forget, Parnelli started on the outside of the second row. He started sixth. And it was a great day because it took three days to run the race in 67. It was rainy. So I'm in turn three, Grant Standell. Mario was on the pole, so I'm assuming, okay, I can't wait. Mario, I can't wait to see the field come out of two down the back straightaway right at me. It's going to be unbelievable seeing Mario lead that pack. And, and boom, there's that crappy orange-red turban. He had Parnelli in the first lap got up high there, four-wheel drive, went around him, and he let him coming out of two. I'll never, I'll never forget that. As long That's, as I that live. is so cool. Wow. Uh, Artie, do you, do you have a moment that stands out that kind of... I, I think no. I don't think people are as into it as Dave is, as maybe right. I am, or a lot of people are. But everybody has a respect for it, yeah. and everybody has part of their life that they can relate to something to do with the track or some kind of an event. Well, my, typically. First, my first one was the year that John Cock won uh, in the rain delay. Uh, 73. Rain delay, 73. Yeah, that was my which first is time considered there. one of the most tragic. Uh. Yeah, oh, maze, maze in history. Mm-hmm. But I went to the race, and I didn't see one race car because wow. I, I was in line at 5 o'clock in the morning with my girlfriend at the time and a couple of other, you know, you know, beer-drinking kids. And mm-hmm. we were, 73. I was, what, 17? Mm-hmm. I think I was 17. Yeah. Anyway, we're, uh, we get inside, and I pass out because I've been drinking too long. <laughs> Next thing I know, hey, the race is over. Let's go. It's pouring down rain. And I'm getting drenched. I'm, I've been asleep since I pulled in the place at 8 a.m. Wow. I didn't see anything. How many right. people can relate to that story? <laughs> I mean, seriously. How many hundreds of thousands yeah. went to the race, passed out, and woke up after? Yeah, yeah. If it weren't for the rain, I'd still be there. Dan, I had you? one of my favorite memories is, and I, I can't remember what year it was, but Aerosmith sponsored a car, oh. the band, and Steve Perry sang the national anthem. And I was there with my older son, and, and so they got Steve Perry up on the you know jumbotron singing the song, and it, not a great version of no. it. And it was so funny. Stephen Tyler. My son turns to Stephen Tyler. Tyler. Yeah, Stephen And my son turns to me and goes, that woman's not a very good singer, is she? (laughs) No. No, no, she's not. Ironically, (laughs) the guy that would sing, dude, looks like a lady. Exactly. Pete? I'm, I'm, like you said, I'm I'm not a huge, huge indie fan in the sense that I would go every year. I've been multiple times. I don't know what year it was that I went the first time, but I happened to be lucky enough to get uh, seats in the first turn. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, you know, I'm waiting for the race to start, and it's going the laps, uh, you know, the, the pace car and everything. So these cars come screaming down the uh, the straightaway, and I'm sitting in the first turn, and I literally flinch, thinking, "There's no way these cars are going to stay They're on the side. track." Yeah. Yeah. And the, the the thing that I that struck out the most to me was that you have to have such an appreciation for these drivers going well over 200 miles an hour and their tires are literally inches apart. So not only do they have to be good drivers, they have to have a lot of respect for their fellow drivers. It's an amazing scene. If you ever have the chance to to get to see the Indy 500 and you haven't, 
do it. Well, there's no, there's no greater greater moment in a sporting event than the start. Than the start yeah, of the yeah. Indianapolis yeah. 500. It, right. Just from a sensory standpoint, just mind-boggling. I remember when it. they had um, it was it was in June. They had like Legends Day or something, and like I remember talking to Beth Bowles, uh, Doug wife, president of the Speedway, and she was saying that like every living Indy 500 winner was there for that day. And wow. so my younger son and I, at that time, we were walking through, uh, you know, the gasoline alley and all this stuff. And Mario Andretti drives past us. I mean, I'm like eight feet from him and he's yeah. in some old like 70s era Indy car. But what I was amazed by, we're looking at the one where they're racing the, the open wheel cars. And those brakes, they're like on fire as they're, mm-hmm. they're breaking to go into a turn. Just bright red, glowing because of the heat on those. Can't I had imagine. no idea yeah. that but, that went on. Yeah, those Indy cars are going faster on the straightaway than a 747 has to go to, to lift off. Wow. It's There's about 5,000 pounds of downforce they, that, that, that it keeps the cars wow. on the track. And when you really think about it, what has made it aerodynamics with the wings and things like that, both uh, that you can see and what you can't see underneath the car, they have baffling that uh, slows the air down going underneath the car so that the car, that's where they create the downforce. Right. But with shocks and then the tires, Firestone tires, when you think about a car going into turn one, at 240 miles an hour, which you be you because wow. they don't lift, they you drive into the corner when you're running. Uh, the patch of tire that's actually touching the ground is small. I mean, you huh. think of that's what's sitting on oh. the ground when you really think about it. What is actually yeah. in contact with the asphalt? And it's four little patches that are whatever. I don't know what the exact dimensions, but with shocks and with the tire compounds and with the aerodynamics is how they get them to go that fast. And I don't know if you call it geeking out, but you have to have a respect for the engineering that's gone into Indy over the last multitude of years and how the cars Mm. have evolved so much. These guys are amazing with what they Uh, they, they have done to the cars. You know, you're a dumb kid. You you stick your arm, you stick your hand out the window as you're driving down the street and you just tilt your hand Mm. the slightest degrees and you feel the difference. You feel the difference. Okay, take an actual wing and they have the the pieces on the back that they can adjust by a thousandth of an inch. And so uh, adjusting that wing by a thousandth of an inch will create exponentially more downforce yeah. or lift, whatever you want it to do. And so that's where a lot of that has to come in. And of course, the, 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 the how the air is, the if it, is it rainy, is it hot, mm-hmm. is it humid, is it wet, whatever, yeah. will it will affect that also. And it, it's amazing for you too, from your history, when you think about your the races in the late 60s, and you look at Mario's ride, and you mm-hmm. look at uh, Marcus Erickson's car last year. Yeah, it's it's staggering. They're like yeah, little airplanes. Yeah, it, they're still open wheel now. Yeah, but, right. but they are so. I mean, and, and let's hope they're they're always protected and, and kept mm-hmm. safe. But unfortunately, sometimes it, you know when bad things happen, that's when they create and that's when they develop yeah. the better safety features. That, right. Because man, it's just a, it's so different, and you have to. Res- you look at him and it just blows me away. In the, yeah. cool in the 50s and 60s, uh, death was a constant companion. Oh, yeah. yeah. The 1955 Indy 500, within three years, 18 of the 33 starters had been killed. Oh, my goodness. Wow. wow. Yeah. And, and, and you talk about uh, Lou Palmer, who was unbelievable wordsmith. I mean, he was fabulous at what he did. His first year on the radio network was 1958, and they go, okay, kid, here's what's going to happen. Sid Collins, he goes, we're going to stick you in the third turn because nothing happens in the third turn. 
So they stick, you know, they stick him over in the third turn. Well, the first lap they come down. Adelisian tries to make a pass. They tangle. Sixteen cars oh my are eliminated in the third turn. And um, Pat O'Connor, who was one like the most popular driver uh, by far uh, in, in that era, who was from down in Seymour, Indiana, he goes over a tire, ends up outside the racetrack, flips upside down, he's killed. Oh my goodness! And so that was that was Lou Palmer's introduction, his first call uh, as the first lap of the very first Indy 500. Mm-hmm. And one of the neatest calls, he had so many great ones, but killing time in the 19, he was the pit reporter in 1970 when Al Senior won his first 500, and uh, he was down in Victory Lane, and there was a bunch of they Sid threw it to him, and he had to wax poetic for about four and a yeah. half minutes before he finally got to talk mm-hmm. to Al Senior. And he just did it masterfully. He oh, was yeah. just fabulous. Just a different breed of broadcaster. And, oh. you know, I, I, I was very privileged to get to work with a lot of these guys who don't exist mm-hmm. anymore. And that's a whole other history of the track that you appreciate right. because yeah. you got to be behind the scenes with that, too. The voices of the 500 and, and, and the, Make the, the men. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Already just nailed it. Like a good baseball announcer, like a, mm-hmm. the Vince Scully's and Ernie Harwell's mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. not doing play yeah. by play. They're telling a story. Right. Same thing at Indy. Painting pictures. And uh, yeah. the first year, the first real year of the Annapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network was 1952. Sid Collins, who was a salesman for WIBC. Yeah. Uh, it had been done by the Mutual Network for a few years before that, and they decided they're getting out of it. So, but Pat, you know, he's thinking, well, Sid goes, I'll, I want to continue this on the radio. So what he did was he went to every radio station in Indianapolis and invited somebody from that station to be on the broadcast, thinking if... Hey, if, if WXLW has got a guy on the broadcast, they're going to air the race. Yeah. So he asked as many different guys from as many different radio stations as he could to be on the broadcast. And so 52 is the first year the officially for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network. And it was over 1,200 stations. It grew. Wow. And if you think about that now, 1,200 stations. I mean, millions and millions of listeners. Now, the, the 2016, the 100th running, uh, they did uh, actual Arbitron ratings for that broadcast. And they had 20 million listeners. Now this is wow. in 16. Still, we're we talking worldwide. No, that was just that was just Here. no, that was okay. just terrestrial in North America. Yeah. Just terrestrial, wow. not internet, nothing, and mm-hmm. not, and, and again, just in the the the, uh, the, continu- the 48 states, 20 million, average seven and a half million listeners, unique listeners every 15 minutes. Wow. wow. And that was in in 2016. So the thing is, is that people have grown up. With mm-hmm. grandma and grandpa or their aunts and uncles in the backyard or at the lake or so-and-so doing this. You're cooking mm-hmm. out. It's Memorial Day weekend. We're listening to the Indianapolis 500 yep. on the radio. Great. And that still is still is a habit. I mean, it, 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 it's some, oh, yeah. now it's down around 14 million. Is the Currently is where the, the listening audience is. But when you look at television, uh, ABC, NBC, they were it's six, six and a half million viewers. But still tons of listeners. I have a question. Uh, one of my favorite wins, and I'm going to ask you about this, but uh, one of my favorite wins was the year that Al Unser Sr. won his fourth. He it, came, didn't he come from last place, 33rd? No, he came from way back, far back. I thought he was 33rd that no, year. No, huh, but he had, I think the furthest back anybody has won is 28th, I okay. think. I know 25th. I know Rutherford and Louis Meyer did it. Louis Meyer did it in 36. But, but he wasn't supposed to ride. He wasn't. He didn't. He showed up not having a ride that year. He yeah. Didn't. He was just there to watch and hang out and. Be Penske there. took a show car. Nice. <laughs> wow. and, yeah, and put him in it, and uh, Al Senior won. He won that, a 70, that was, 71. That was there, the most there impressive. Was that, remember one that I security ever saw. guard at the museum's like, you can't take that car. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I forget right. where it was exactly, but it was probably at a store somewhere. Yeah. Of one of yeah. his sponsors. 
Oh with, my God. You know, oh, like yeah. airway on it. <laughs> Sitting in the lobby. Exactly. You know, you don't hear and, often. Uh, all of a sudden, boom, let's drag yeah. this thing yeah. out of here. I'm going to need on. this. Was that 87? 87. Yeah. But my, wow. my question to you, yeah. Dave, mm-hmm. is what was your favorite? What was your favorite moment in a win? What was your favorite win? Well, probably uh, 73 with Gordy, because really? even that was a horrible situation. Horrible uh, I went to junior high and high school with Butch Meyer. His grandpa was Louis Meyer, the first three-time winner. His dad, Sonny Meyer, who built the engines for 18 Indianapolis 500 winners. Wow. And back then, of course, being a geek like I am, uh, Louis Meyer Incorporated had just joined up with Patrick Racing, which was uh, John Cock and Dallenbach and Sweet Savage. And um, they had a shop on Industrial Boulevard behind Lafayette Square. So Eagledale, West Side, I mean, I was there all the time just hanging, taking trash out, just watching, just go, my God, there's the lathe that they make Gordon drunk. You know, I mean, you know, there's the lathe that they make. And, uh, you know, just freaking out. So that team, that was like my team because I got to hang out. And in 73, that was my senior year in high school. And uh, Lewis Meyer Corporate had a block of tickets in the Northwest Vista in the fourth turn. So I got to sit up there in their block of ticket. And uh, Louis Meyer, it was anniversary of one of his wins. He won in 28, 33, and 36. And so Louis Meyer, the three-time winner, uh, was part of the pre-race ceremonies. And we're sitting up there going, hey, I can't wait to see Grandpa. I can't wait to see Louis come by here. And all of a sudden, he comes flying by. Now, most of those guys are out there just kind of piddling around and waving at the crowd and everything. Louis comes by, wham, flying by. And then pretty soon, he comes and sits up in the stands with us. And, and mm. Butch goes, Grandpa, what was he? He goes, hey, I'm so tired of being down here with all them people. I just want to get up here in the stands. You know? but, <laughs> but that year was so bittersweet because Sweet Savage was part of the Patrick Racing team and he was fatally injured yeah. in, in a crash there. Uh, one of the crewmen for the STP team, uh, when that big crash happened, was running down the, uh, the pit lane and a fire truck going the opposite direction and it hit him and oh it killed him. And the race only lasted 342 laps. I remember going to the shop the day after the race mm-hmm. and Sonny was back there and I, he had a cart with four pistons and four rods and they were sitting there, and they'd been manuflux. That's where they, they send things through this treating system to, to look for cracks. And there were all these orange marks on the piston rings and uh, on the sides of the pistons and the rods. And I go, Sonny, what's that? Is that magnified? He goes, oh, yeah, those are all cracks. I go, where'd wow. that engine? He goes, that's Gordy's engine. Hmm. And I go, well, how much longer would this engine have last? He goes, maybe a lap, maybe 100 laps. You don't yeah. know. Wow. So the fact that it was rain short. Now, fast forward to 2003, probably one of the most regrettable things I ever did. Uh, I'm doing a thing for the Annapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network. Where are they now? So I'm interviewing guys and talking to them. So I talked to Bill Vukovic Jr. Now, Bill Vukovic Jr., his dad, the mad Russian from uh, California, he, he almost won in 52. He won in 53. He won in 54. And in 55, by the 57th lap, he had lapped all the way up to sixth place. He was killing them. And at Elysian again, tangles with Roger Ward now, coming out of turn two. There's an accident. Vukovic can't avoid it. He hits him, goes flipping out of the racetrack, and lands upside down. Is killed. Bill Vukovic Jr., of course, is back in California, hears about it. So Vukovic is a driver. His son... Uh, Bill Vukovic III was killed in a sprint car crash there. But anyway, so Vukovic's wow. had a horrible, Junior had a horrible crash. In 73, he finished second behind John Cock. And I was interviewing him, and I said, uh, you know, were you upset that the, the rain delay? And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, I had had a cracked turbocharger. I was down 100 horsepower. 
Roger McCluskey was chasing me. Chances are, if the rain hadn't have been rain shortened, the race hadn't been rain, I would have I would have been caught, and I wouldn't have finished second. And then I told him about those piston rings, and oh. I, if I'd have shot him, huh. I couldn't have deflated him anymore. When he found out, when I said, Sonny Myers said that might have lasted a lap, might have lasted 10 laps. And that's just to think that had the race lasted another X number of laps, maybe what could have. I, I felt I have felt guilty about telling him oh, that wow. every wow. since. Well, you could say that with John Cock Mears. Another lap oh, or two, Mears probably would have won. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Uh, well, I, I think what would have happened was John Cock said I was not going to let him pass me. Yeah. I think John Cock and he would have tangled and they would have wound up in the fence i don't remember who finished third in 82 the fence yeah yeah when you talk about this though and you guys and dan dan's got a son who's involved with mm-hmm. with race cars mm-hmm. it, it, it takes everything and lady luck and some divine oh, intervention yeah. for you to win a race almost certainly you yeah. figure okay the cars at the Memphis motor speedway they're traveling 240 mile an hour they're, it's over a football field a second yeah. Okay. So when you come into the pits, you're only stopped for eight seconds. Mm-hmm. But that's eight football fields or more. And then you're going to lose yeah. more because slowing down and speeding up because you got can't go over 60 in the pits. So you figure if you're in the, in the pits another half a second, that's half a straightaway. Yeah. Okay. So that guy on the left rear or the right front, you know, something, mm-hmm. just one little thing going wrong. In 19... Uh, 1941, Wilbur Shaw, who was the last Indiana-born driver to win the 500, by the way, he had won in 30, uh, 37, 39, and 40. 41, race morning, there was a big fire in the garage area. Hmm. And a lot of things got destroyed, but luckily his car did not get destroyed, Wilbur's, but they had a wheel that they had determined had some cracks in it, and they had marked it with chalk so that they wouldn't use the car, the wheel during the race. Well, in that process of fighting the fire with water, it had God rinsed off that my. and it rinsed the yeah. chalk off. So they put that on his wheel. He's winning the race with like 10 laps to go. The wheel breaks, he crashes. Hmm. I mean, just one little thing. Yeah. It's just, I mean, the stories. Well, a couple of years, Connor Daly, I think it was two years ago, he led, and I think he was in the top five, a wheel comes off of somebody's yep. car, bounces on his front wing. Right. How is you know yeah, and just the so, odds of that happen? And not like a the, major, major, major damage, no. but enough. It was enough. enough. Yeah, it enough. slowed him down. And right. I remember him saying that, you know, if they had stopped and fixed it, he would have lost even more position. I, I, but it's I, just I, how I, the odds of that oh, happening. No. It's, it's just incredible. yeah. And I root for Connor on so many yeah. different levels. Well, because he and, and you know, time and again, he'll kid. have the fastest lap no. in the race. Right. But right. he'll end up finish either right. you know does not did not finish, and it's always like some. The kid has such hard luck, but he's a, he's a great driver, and yeah, he's a great yeah. kid. He's a he's and, a really good kid. And yeah. getting back to where everybody is responsible for what's going on. Yeah. In 2011, J.R. Hildebrand's a rookie driving for Panther Racing, mm-hmm. John Barnes, and uh, he has got it wrapped up. He's got it mm-hmm. sewn up. Mm-hmm. White flag lap. He's headed around, and what happened was his spotter in the third turn was so excited that they were going to win the Indianapolis 500, he left early so he could get down to victory lane. So when JR comes running down the straightaway, the backstretch, into turn three, there's nobody, a spotter, to warn him, hey, Charlie Kimball's running slow in the groove in the short shoot. And so here comes JR, tangles, hits him, nowhere to go, goes up to avoid him, hits the wall, and loses the 500 because his spotter wow. had left 
That was uh, early. Dan Weldon, that one, right? Yeah, Dan Weldon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Dave, you mentioned spotters, you know, for the uh, fans that aren't aficionados. So, the, each team has a. Ex- explain to us what a spotter does, how many there Good are, question. what yeah. their functions are. At the Indy 500, they have, uh, they have somebody in the first turn and the third turn, and they talk to you. Mm-hmm. There's, there's somebody gaining on you. There's, a, you know, high, there's somebody low. Hey, wait a minute, there's a crash in turn one. Watch it. Stay low, stay low, stay high, stay high. Extra you know, pair blah, of blah, eyes, yes. essentially. Yeah. There are other pair of eyes that, that constantly are telling you what's going on. Because, again, you're traveling a football field a second. So, you know, if you're coming out of two, you're going down the back straightaway, you hit 240 miles an hour, all of a sudden coming out of turn third, the third turn where you can't see it yet, there's, a, there's an incident. And you see a yellow light, but you don't know where it is or what's mm-hmm. going on or how serious it is. Your guy goes... There's a horrible crash in, turn, in the short shoot coming out of three. Stay high, slow down. Whoa, 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 whoa. Get down to the, get down to the apron. Get down to the apron. Get down yeah. to the apron. He's telling them stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know that that guy, that spotter who left his position, his next words were, "Welcome to Walmart. Would you like a car?" <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Great story. Uh, John Cock, when radios were first put in the cars. Uh, John Cock liked to jack around on the radio, and, hmm. and nobody appreciated it. His crew guys, it didn't, you know, they didn't like. He'd, he'd be on there, he'd go, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, no, I can't believe it!" And they, then he'd let go of the mic, and they'd go, oh. "Gordy, Gordy, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong?" Hilarious. And Gordy, Gordy, what's going on? And he goes, "Nothing. I got you." Okay, so at one point, Sonny again, Sonny Myers doing the radio for him, and it was a practice day, and all of a sudden, the yellow light comes on. Well, they. Uh, Sonny gets on the radio. He goes, Gordy, Gordy, yellow, yellow, yellow. And there's a pause. And all of a sudden he hears, I'm the cause of the yellow. <laughs> That's great. I love it. I love it. I remember Lou Palmer telling me the story about one of the guys when they would come into pit row for the inspection before they go out in the track. I don't know if they just weren't ready or what the deal was, but I guess when they lifted up the... Uh, to do the inspection, it was just a bunch of beer on ice. <laughs> it was uh, Jim Herdebees, and Herdebees <laughs> was uh, hanging on to the front engine car. The lore he wanted, he had the Mallard, the car of his own mm-hmm. design. And um, he had uh, battled with uh, USAC about, because he was way slow, but he still wanted to try to qualify, and they didn't want him to. And anyway, so the last day of qualifying, he pushes the car out again. Mm-hmm. All right, and uh, everybody's going, oh, no, here comes Herdebees. He's going to, because the last few minutes of the fourth day of qualifying are very tedious, and they're, they're bumping, and mm-hmm. so you've only got a few minutes. I mean, 6 o'clock, and if you've got 10 guys in front of you and some guys out there trying to qualify and run three laps, and he's six miles an hour off the pace, he's just wasting time, and everybody's mad. So Herdebees comes down, he pushes the car, and he's way back in the line, and the gun goes off at 6 o'clock, and they open the, the engine compartment, and he was sponsored by Miller High Life, and the, <laughs> they had no engine in the car. And lo and behold, it's full of Miller High Life. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, there's a lot of guys. Elio is very personable. Tony Kanan's yeah. very personal. Dixon's yeah. uh, kind yeah, of a to- dry yeah. person. Tony's got that character too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. good and, guy. And obviously, Elio's been the ambassador, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, and and not to bring up a, a sad moment, but I thought Indy was coming back with Dan Weldon right. because after going Great through guy. so much right. turmoil mm-hmm. and his success, everybody loved the band. Right. You know, and of course we know the, the tragedy there, but I think now they've got a great core of, of drivers. Right. Yeah. And, and they had guys, I mean, you know, um, Stan Fox, who was, uh, mm-hmm. I, I really like Stanley. He, he was an engineer in a horrible crash in 95 and, and he came back, but he was, was you know, he'd had some brain damage. 
But uh, such great stories about him, Stan Fox, and another USAC midget driver named Kevin Olson. About in, in the late in the mid '90s, Stan was sponsored by the American Bowling Congress, huh. and so they had a golf cart with this eight foot tall bowling pin hanging out the back. That they would drive around, you know, to promote bowling. So he was booked to be on the Today Show, the NBC Today Show in New York City. So Stan Fox and Kevin Olson, they go to, they tow this thing to New York City and trying to find a place to park, you know, even at four in the morning in New York City, no, especially with a car, a truck, and a trailer. Well, they finally find a place, but it's it's like over a mile away from where they're supposed to be. And uh, so they go ahead and take the golf cart out, and they're driving down through the streets of New York City, and a cop spots them. And so they start dodging the cop, <laughs> going through alleys and back parking lots and this, that, and the other. And they finally somehow wound up at NBC. And they pull on the set, and they're on set. And Stan said that he looked over, and he saw that cop just glaring at him. That the cop had finally found him, didn't want to interrupt him and pull him off the set of the NBC oh, Today man. Show. I, I hate to hate to have to wrap things up, but in the last couple minutes here, during the month of May, and what's going on with you? Because, right. man, Dave, we could sit here for hours. Well, I, I was in the, I, my first race was 66. And then in 82, I did my first uh, appearance doing media work, getting quotes and stuff. So from 82 to 2020, I was a part of, I had media responsibilities, 38 years. And after the 2020 Indy 500, the radio network, you know, we got to cut back and blah, blah, blah. And so uh, 20 and 21, I have just bought tickets with my uh, fiance, Becky, and we go across the street. I work at the, I run the American Legion Post 500 right across the street from there. That's a whole nother podcast but it uh, we just walk across the street I watch the 500 I don't when I do stand-up shows now I tell a couple of stories yeah I usually tell that in 77 story and then another one where I interviewed Mike Pence and mm. a handful of other stories but then I talk about you got to know to live in the great state of Indiana you have to know who won the 500 year you were born the year you were born and so mm-hmm. I, I do that and, and some other things so but no I don't uh, other than that I don't do any uh I do this podcast because you yeah. guys asked. Well, there we go. I, this has been amazing. Thank yeah. you. Well, thank Thanks you for, for being here with and, us. You know, we've known Thanks. you forever, Absolutely. and this is, of course, the the other side of Dave Wilson because yeah. we, we've always known you as the stand-up comic and just a good a good friend, good person. Thank you. And I know Indy is in your DNA, like it is for a lot of people. Right. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, it's amazing stuff. So I appreciate you Thanks sharing for the stories. Me. I know all the guys are pretty much like. Well, I guess we could do a three-hour podcast. Guys, you certainly could. Yeah, I'm exhausted. Let's go I'm ahead. tired. Let's I go need ahead to take a nap. Dan, yes. I appreciate you, man. You did <laughs> hey, a nice job. Thank good you. to be here. Thank you so yep. much. Dan Thanks had so to much. pinch hit today for Art Baker. Yeah. Art is uh, doing a calendar shoot. He is uh, Mr. <laughs> That's June. Right. The pro- pro- production calendar monthly. He is Mr. June this year. So. I'd love to hear his stories about his dad. I, I, I do hear. as much as I can <laughs> oh. to always talk about Bill Baker because, oh. you know, I'm all about Giving right. nods, oh, yeah. nods to the legends. And, oh, man, yeah. just just a great great time in radio history. Absolutely. Pete Molina, great to be here, man. This is I, I could I literally I could sit here for days, you. not hours, just days. Mm-hmm. I gotta, well, you can still stay here for days. We're leaving. Yeah, but, right. Okay. Yeah, you know the Beatles. The Beatles stayed at the Speedway Motel in September of '64 when they performed at the fairgrounds. Jerry Baker introduced yeah. him at the Coliseum, yeah. and Bounce and Bill introduced him at the Grandstand that night. But they, yeah. I saw him drive down Georgetown Road. They drove right down by the track. Oh, and there's, wow. there's another half an hour worth of stories about yeah. Ringo. Uh, the state trooper took him. Uh, Ringo at two in the morning wanted some breakfast, and so the state trooper 
took him to Noblesville. His wife got up, fixed Ringo Starr breakfast, and then he drove back. <laughs> Artie, thank you. Hey, thank you. I, I'm thank sorry. You. I was, I was looking somewhere else. I know we're you, sorry. You were too. staring off. Are you having visions again? Because no, I know sometimes uh, you have yes. visions. We always like to wrap up with, uh, with a, cro- a quote here on Boomers with Beverages. Don't forget to check the website, boomerswithbeverages.com. Uh, leave you with this since uh, it's six comics sitting around. And I say six mm-hmm. because we've been uh, joined by uh, Randy Montgomery as well to, uh, to watch the podcast. Randy is waving right now yeah. for those of you listening at home. Yes. Uh, another quote from Mitch Hedberg, who we all uh, Ooh, yes, uh, appreciate love the humor of. Uh, a quote, Mitch, and this is so apropos. You can't please all of the people all of the time. And last night, all of those people came to my show. <laughs> Until we got talk again, this has been Boomers with Beverages. Thanks for listening to Boomers with Beverages. Sound recording engineer, Art Baker. Audio editor and post-production technician, Dan Davis. Showrunner and distributor, Taylor Scott of iPodcastPro.com.